For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Monday, October 16th. Got a little bit of a different episode today. We recorded a live show, our first ever. We did a recording last week at the Bloomberg Media Conference. We had Lucas Shaw up on stage with me. About 150 people watched us do the show live. It was fun. Met some great townies, some great fans of the show. Although most people just wanted to be introduced to Craig. But it was great to see people. So today it's the Hollywood stock market. Lucas and I made some picks, companies, people trends that we would buy and sell. And we got into it. We also answered some questions from people in the audience. So it's a little bit of a longer show today. We normally cut it off at 30 minutes, but we went longer and there's no call sheet, but it's the Hollywood stock market. Who's up, who's down, who we would pick and who we would dump. From the Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany and this is The Town. All right, so we are going to do one of our stunt episodes today. We're going to buy and sell. We're going to do a Hollywood stock market, pick a couple of things to, or people or entities or companies that we want to buy and sell. Um, I'll pick a couple, you pick a couple. First, though, we got to talk about the labor situation. Just a, a brief, what the hell is going on? I saw Ted's comments from this morning. Um, everyone in town was pretty optimistic, I feel like, all week, which is another testament to the fact that nobody knows anything and everyone's talking to each other all day long. What are you hearing? Oh, I'm hearing that. Yeah, yeah. And in the room, very different vibe. And I got wind of it yesterday afternoon that things were not going well. I had heard that the CEOs basically stormed got up out. And <laughs> storming, I hate that word storming. I don't think Donna Langley has ever stormed in her life, but uh, she very gently walked out of the room. And uh, I just, I feel like we're now going to go back to square one. And this is not going to be resolved before the end of the year. I hope you're wrong. We did think that this was going to wrap up pretty quickly after the writer's strike. Um, but there were early indications I th that the actors were going to need even more, right? Because the writers got this deal that they said was like the best deal that has ever been accomplished, right? right. And everyone was very excited about that. Which, which is not true, but... We'll but let them have a good deal. Yes. The actors who hadn't been talking to the studios for a couple of months then look at this and their leadership says, okay, well, we can't just get their deal. We need to get something even better than that. And you have studios who are like, we just bled out for the writers. You need even more. And that's where it feels like there's a disconnect because the biggest thing they're disagreeing about, as best I can tell, I think all the normal uh, guild agreement stuff they'll figure out is 
the kind of extra payment, basically, right? Where the studios came to a deal with the writers for a performance-based bonus, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, you and I have both talked about this. But yeah. unclear how many shows or movies that will end up applying to. Sure, that's always been true in television. Yes. yes. The actors want even more. They want basically a guarantee amount of money. It used to be based on streaming revenue. Now the studios say they want it based on subscribers. This is one of those things where the studios are saying this is never, ever going to happen. There were a lot of things in the writer's conversation that they said were never, ever going to happen. There are a lot more actors as well. So any decision they make on profit sharing applies to a lot more people and potentially costs them a lot more money. The quote I saw from Ted was, they wanted a levy on top of our revenue or per subscriber. That just felt like a bridge too far. And the union is calling it bully tactics. They say it's a misrepresentation of overstating the cost by about 60%. Um, pretty different interpretation of what happened in the room there. Not a great sign. No. Yeah, I think Ted said that their, even their performance-based structure would have been four to five times more money than the writer's one just yeah. because actors get more and there are more of them who get bonuses and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't... I feel like the overall mood around town is get this done in a way that you, you feel it even with the actors that I have spoken to and their reps, like even more so than the writers, like that was the fight. And then this was supposed to be wrapped up in a few weeks. Yeah. I don't know how much of a temperature there will be for another three months of this. Well, because people want to get production going early next year. I think for the most part, the rest of this year, they can just write off. If you have a, you know, a few weeks of reshoots you need to do mm -hmm. or something, you can do that. Um, and there's lots of prep that can be done for next year. But it seems like everyone wants to get back to work January 1st or January yeah. 5th, whatever it is. Right. All right. Enough of that. Let's move on to our buys and sell. I'm going to give you the first opportunity here. Do you want to start with a stock you would buy or a stock you would sell? Uh, I'm gonna, let's be positive. Let's I'm going to start with a stock. A buy. For the, just so you know, I actually played a mini version of this game with, with Ari Emanuel last night. Oh, you did? I was did. not here. Uh, I was enjoying I, the talents of Taylor Swift. Which will be part of my buy. Yeah. We're doing a, uh, we did a, a company's one where I asked him what he would buy and he said he was confused by the question at first. And he then gave Sometimes like... you have to spell it out. Yeah. Right? yeah. He, he then gave a lot of answers. Uh -huh. um, but what was notable is... In buy, he basically had big tech companies and Netflix. And in sell, he had something that I think you're going to sell today, so I won't repeat it, and Fox, which was, I think, principally because the WWE, they just didn't renew the rights. Sure, and okay. Um, uh, I mean, great. I mean, what is Fox now? Um, my first buy, speaking of Taylor Swift, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the, the Travis Kelsey train. Oh. All right, so you're, you're buying Travis Kelsey as a media slash entertainment personality. This is off the field, not whether Correct. they're going to win another Super Bowl. He's already one of the, the best tight ends in the NFL. We'll see if he goes down as one of the best in, in NFL history. But I think he's got this podcast with his brother that was already getting some steam. He gets a lot of fuel on the fire from the Taylor Swift relationship. However, that I mean, there's a world, I, I guess, in which that can end badly and the whole internet turns on him. Sure. But it is clear that he has ambition. Not if. It, it will turn badly at some point. <laughs> This will not end well, whether it is. it's his doing or her. She always wins. I think it's clear, it's clear that he has ambitions in media and that even if he's a heel, heels are great. He is going to have a post-NFL media career. Okay, and I'm, I, I agree with you, but what is the path for a guy like that? Charismatic, funny, whatever. Is he an actor? Is he, is he Arnold Schwarzenegger? Is he John Cena? Or is he, you know, Tony Gonzalez 
great tight end turned commentator? Or is he Peyton Manning, where he does on air and then he creates a media company around himself to sell other shows to people? What is he? I mean, you just gave three different paths, which is why I'm buying. Yeah, he hired CA this summer. He hired CA this summer, and I think that's their job to figure it out. Uh, coincidentally, hired CA right before this relationship started. Not just just throwing that out there, but uh, I. I, I don't know. I think he's Tony Gonzalez. Matt is a cynic. He thinks this whole relationship is fabricated. Uh, not fabricated. I, whatever. We don't have to get into this. This is not a gossip pod. But I think they're, they're, mutually, they're mutually beneficial uh, things that are going on right now, including she's selling her movie. He wants to be a star. And it is one big, happy relationship out of that. Okay. Are you starting with a buy or a sell? Um, I am on this subject. I am going to start with a buy. Uh, I'm going to buy music docs. And I know that there's been a lot of cynicism about how that market has peaked. Um, I have talked to Bill Simmons about this. Um, and, and you know, I, I've talked to many people in the industry who think that, that uh, you know, that, that the days of, of the star being able to do the $30 million streaming documentary um, may not last forever. However... I think what's going on right now with the Taylor Swift and Beyonce thing with the theatrical window could be a thing that has been underutilized and could be exploited. Nobody is going to get to the level of Taylor Swift. Few people can get to the level of a Beyonce, if any. However, there is a lane here. There is These things cost 7 to $12 million about to produce, and Taylor's cost a little more. But if you can put that in theaters go around the studio system, go directly to a company like AMC, put it in theaters globally, and make 30, 40, 50 million dollars in theaters off this thing, that's a decent return on a doc. And then it serves basically as a giant marketing tool for the streaming release, which you can negotiate separately. So this was one of my cells. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> All right. So give me your argument. Uh, well, a few. We've already seen a boom in music documentaries with streaming. And what I think people quickly realize is that there are a few artists that can meaningfully attract people to your streaming service, like Taylor, um, or like Beyonce at a slightly smaller scale. Most of them don't matter. And so, yes, it's great. They're not that expensive. But if they don't move the needle, is that really the best use of your capital? But people will what, still do I mean, it. What does move but the hold needle? Hold on. Do any of these sports docs move the needle? Beckham probably does. Beckham but, does, but he's a rare case. But there's a huge difference between streaming and theaters. Because yes, the movie might only cost 5 or $10 million to make. But if you're going to put it in theaters and really get people to see it, you got to market the hell out of it. And you have to spend money marketing. So that budget... You don't actually. You, that's the beauty of the superstar music doc. I think is you got 350 million followers. I mean, Taylor has fewer followers than Selena Gomez. What would a Selena Gomez concert doc do in theaters? Probably not Taylor numbers. It's not the same kind of music and following. But my point is you, you now have this marketing channel outside of the traditional P&A spend. And if you can tap into that, you may not have to spend very much at all. I think you still do, having had conversations with people about both Taylor and Beyonce. One of the reasons, not the only reason, that Beyonce's movie will not sell as well is because she is not going to market it as much. Taylor is very good at marketing, but I think, what, what do you think Beyonce was doing last night showing up at the Taylor Swift premiere? I mean, there, that was, I think, a coordinated event to prevent, to prevent the narrative that they are competing with each other, that they, are, they want everyone to know they are friends and both on the same page. 
but it's also pretty nice marketing that everyone knows that Beyonce has a movie coming on December 13th. She's not going to show up courtside at, you know, sporting events, but she will do marketing, I think. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I just think it's another window. I, the part it's that a I, window that people will, that, that people right now in this experiential economy where things you can do outside the home are going crazy, concerts and everything else. This is another thing. And if properly leveraged, it could be a an additive window. The part I, I like about it is I've always thought that movie theaters should use more alternative programming because not a lot of people show up to a movie at 1 p.m. on a Thursday or even on a weeknight. They just need to mix up what they're doing. And so I think there'll be more experiments around that. I'm just not sure it's going to be a ton of concert films. All right. Give me a sell. Am I sticking with a person? or am I, um, I'm going to... I'll do the two people first. I'm going to sell Sam Levinson. Oh, brutal. Uh, Sam those, Levinson, creator of Euphoria and the often ridiculed The Idol. Um, I admit that some of this is personal. I think that his work is titillation for titillation's sake. All right, but, we, but, but our opinions we're gonna do set not that matter. Aside. We are not critics. Um, the, the Idol was a complete disaster yes. for HBO. On it every has, level. Embarrassing for anyone who touched it. And it, I, <laughs> I think it will hit him more than it will hit The weekend because Even though he didn't start it, he was asked to come in and save it. The weekend is a musician. It, this damages The weekend doing anything oh, film and TV he going is forward. a definition of ice cold. But from a music perspective, yeah. he's still huge. Oh, yeah, huge music. So I'm just saying it in Hollywood. I got pitched this a, will never happen again. I got pitched a story about him, I think, in the last week or two where someone wanted me to write about his impact on like the Colombian economy because his <laughs> tour was doing so well there. But I do think that it sticks a little bit to Sam Levinson because the stuff that he's done outside of Euphoria, he also did a movie that I believe Netflix bought called Malcolm and Marie, came and went like that. Yep. I just, he, he's tilting. With Zendaya in it, right? Yeah, he was, he, was on the, he was on the precipice of being one of the big TV showrunners, your Ryan Murphy or Shonda Rhimes, and he is not headed there right now. Yeah, he, he is expensive. He doesn't come in on time. It's, you know, it's a huge hit. Euphoria is a massive hit. But it might fall into the category of life's too short for HBO. And even on a new season of Euphoria, I mean, the, the closest they're talking about are, what, 2025? And now the, the cast is all big stars. They've got scheduling problems. Uh, how long Zendaya wants to stick around for this, I don't know. Um, we'll see if he even gets another season there. I'm going to get killed by Casey. You're, <laughs> you're, um, you're, you're up for a sell. I'm up for a sell. Um, all right, and with no uh, disrespect to your guest this afternoon, Brian Lord, I'm going to sell agencies. Woo! Why? Because, listen, the CAA deal that just sold TPG's interest, um, majority interest to the uh, Francois Pinot holding company, the valuation is $7 billion for Italian, the Italian agency. I think that's high. Um, I'm not sure that that is necessarily justified. And the market certainly doesn't think the equivalent of WME, its rival, is that valuable because it's not valuing that company on the open market that way. And I just feel like we are headed into a contraction for all the reasons we talk about on this show. And the agencies are going to feel the brunt of that. There has been many beneficiaries of peak TV. Talent, obviously. People getting paid for stuff that would never have been made five, ten years ago. But the agencies have been a huge beneficiary of this because they are in the volume business. They are, every single one of these massive buyouts, they take their cut. They are facing a contraction there. And the end of packaging fees. 
I mean, the history of talent agencies is basically a history of TV packaging fees, where if you don't know, you get a percentage of the license fee if you put elements of a show together to sell the show to a network. The Writers Guild didn't like that because they thought that it was disincentivizing the agents to actually advocate on their client's behalf, and they were advocating on their own behalf. So a couple years ago, they got rid of that, and it, well, Matt, come on. I know. Bush League. Um, you would think that uh, now, a couple years later, that that they're all aligned and everything's honky-dory, but the reality is, is that these agencies, I think, are missing those packaging fees in the long term. They're still commissioning now, and obviously the clients are now paying commissions to their agents that they didn't once have to pay. But um, I think long term, the end of packaging fees will hit these agencies. There's no question that a contraction in the market is bad for everyone, right? It hits production companies, it hits talent representatives, it hits law firms, it, it, you know, it hits restaurants. Um, I guess I tend to believe that agencies, because they still, especially the big ones, like they control such valuable talent, and the ones like CAA, WME, and, and UTA have diversified enough. They have. That I feel but like... The, but, but the slowdown but is the hitting smaller, other areas. The smaller ones, definitely it hits more if there's a real contraction. Yeah. Um, oh, there will be consolidation more there. So we're already seeing it with the lower end places. Some will go away. And, you know, sports, if, if the TV media ecosystem doesn't figure itself out, the contraction in television will ultimately hit the sports agencies as well because it's going to hit the athletes. The only reason you get paid what you get paid in this country for playing professional sports is because there is a huge market for the TV rights. And if the RSNs are imploding and you know some of the deals don't no longer make sense um, and the tech companies don't come in, uh, didn't the YouTube guy say earlier that they're not interested in NBA? No, he, he did the classic... Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny that we are interested, or okay. I'm not even going to address it. All right. So the I NBA deals will be huge, but if these RSNs implode, the, the sports industry has to figure out where to make up that money. And if they can't, it's going to trickle down to the leagues, to the teams, and ultimately to the players, and then to their agents. The so, sports one is a big question mark. I It feels like at a certain point there has to be a plateau in that market. And I think there are for certain types of rights, but for the big ones, it just... Whoosh. All right, next. Uh, I'll, do a, I'll do a buy. Um, I'm going to buy uh, anime and by extension, Japan. You're buying Japan. I'm buying Japan. I didn't country. realize that was available for purchase. Um, I'm, I'm buying Japan as the next South Korea. Okay. Um, I think that uh, you look at the popularity of anime. You've had three of the five highest-grossing anime movies ever in the last few years. Uh, that includes, I think, this Demon Slayer movie, this movie Suzume. Um, it's kind of tied in in a, a little bit, also with like the explosion in gaming culture. I think there's some overlap in the fandoms. You know, in in the niche streaming area, Crunchyroll is basically like the only niche streaming service, or one of the only ones that that really works at scale. And I just Japan is twice the size of South Korea. It had a lot of the cultural roots. It was sort of the creative hub of the region for a long time, but it never cared as much about exporting elsewhere because it was big enough on its own. South Korea really focused on exporting. I think Japan has seen what South Korea is going to do and is now going to copy it. Mm. What is the new is the new Netflix show? Is that one? One Piece is based on a popular anime title, but I believe in people who can correct me. Uh, I believe it's not in okay. its English language. It's a live action English adaptation of a very popular... By anime. American creators. That I don't know. Okay. But it's 
it's it's another example of the way in which I think anime has started to really permeate mainstream culture. I mean, won't Netflix have a big role to play in this as well? I mean, Netflix was a big uh, kind of bridge builder with the South Korean content. Not the only one, but a big one. Um, and what is Netflix's numbers? I don't want to put you on the spot in Japan these days. They don't release it, um, but I will say that Netflix struggled for the first many years. And Japan was the first market Netflix went to in Asia. I think they went there in 2015, but don't hold me to that. And then uh, it might have been 2016. For like three, four years, they couldn't crack it. And then the last couple of years, it's really started to grow. I mean, I still think they're probably in the like five to 10 million range, but mm -hmm. that's pretty good. Do you think that anime success comes at the expense of the traditional American animation studios, which are challenged? We see that DreamWorks Animation is now outsourcing more of their content. You know, Pixar and Disney have had their issues over the past year. The, the Frankly, the animated movies that are made in this country even Netflix cost, have cost too much I think that we are at a moment in culture where it seems like people are cre craving something just a little new or fresh mm. we kind of go through these cycles where like Pixar is not that exciting anymore and maybe that'll come for Illumination although they're doing just fine and so yeah maybe anime to even American viewers feels it looks and feels different like sure there were people who watched the Miyazaki movies in the late 90s but for the most part yeah, but it's not generally speaking it's not been a yeah. mainstream thing all right um, I'm gonna move on to my next buy uh, I'm buying bundles you love a bundle I love a good bundle uh, I am buying bundles because I think that it's it's going to come quicker than many people think it's going to come. There will be a great rebundling. We're already seeing the first stages of this, this charter negotiation with Disney, where they got Disney to include the ad tier of Disney Plus in some of the Spectrum packages. I think that's probably going to happen with the Max service as well. David Zasloff and J.B. Perrett have basically said they are open to that. Um, I think these others, Paramount Plus and Peacock, they, I mean, the age of the standalone sale streaming service may be not coming to an end, but I think challenged when the consumer wants a bundle. They do. They're used to it. They don't want to pay as much as they're paying for cable, but they want one stop, everything in one place. And eventually it will make sense for some of these others like Netflix to participate. It doesn't make sense now, but eventually it will. Do you think that the, the, the this rebundling, will it start with, I mean, I realize little things have already happened, but will you have streaming only bundles where Netflix, Disney, Max, Peacock, and et cetera, align? Or do you think it is through the traditional distributors, both pay TV and your Apple's, Amazon's, Roku's of the world? Can I answer both? Because I, I, I do think that this effort by Apple and Amazon to act as the gatekeeper and to be the the, the, the portal through which all of your streaming services come. I think that they are best positioned for that and and that will grow. And we see these service, I mean, the, the, what I said this on the show the other day, that what happened with Max where it was taken off and then put back, they see the value there. And at some point, Amazon is very good at selling people things and they will be very good at some point in selling people a bundle of these services if the other companies let them. I don't know whether it makes sense for Netflix now, but at some point it might, uh, especially when if the, you know they burn through the growth in subscribers through the password sharing and the ad tier and all that stuff, and they got to grow, 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 and they're under tremendous pressure to grow. And if you have all of the Amazon customers that are potentially 
willing to become Netflix subscribers, might be worth throwing them a little bit of your money to get that at some point. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that precludes the traditional carriers from starting to bundle the traditional services with the streamers. I mean, they would they would love to do it. It's just the media companies that have not been willing to, or at least not on the prices, but it's going to get desperate pretty soon. If it already hasn't. Yeah, maybe and not for Netflix, but certainly not for, for Netflix, but for everybody else, it's it's getting desperate. And there's no reason, in my view, that deals can't be made. Okay, I have a question for you because we do we want to do one more each? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what our time is like, but yeah, we got, we got 16 minutes. Here. Oh, dude, we're golden. Okay. You know, by um, the way, people who don't know, we cut about 10 minutes out of every show because the number one thing people say to me when they say, I like your podcast, it's always, it's so short. So we keep it under a half hour. Um, today we can go, we go full 16. Um, I'm, it's good I had Ted speak already because I'm going to sell, and this is a short-term sell, but I'm going to sell Netflix's ad business. Oh, um, is this just because of the recent reporting around how they're not meeting projections on ads? And I, they, they fired their head of ads after a year. Here's the thing. I, when they initially announced it, I thought it was such a no-brainer that it would work. You have mil hundreds of millions of people who watch Netflix. Some of them are going to watch it with ads. And it, it will eventually, and it, they'll make money from it. And I do think that long-term, they'll figure it out. Netflix is good at figuring that stuff out. And they'll grow big enough that they'll have a lot of people. But the issue right now, and I think will be an issue unless they change their practice, is that unlike... Disney and Amazon. They went with what I would say is actually a very customer-friendly approach. They said, you pay for this, but if you want to spend less money and watch ads, here you go. Makes a lot of sense. The problem is, they're not growing that fast, and there weren't a lot of people who traded down. And so while I think it is effective from a business perspective, um, they just don't have a lot of scale in advertising because they only have a few million customers and you cannot build a meaningful advertising business generating a lot of money but unless you have a lot of viewers. It's been eight months. I mean, and all of these services are raising their price. And like I said on the show before, when the cost of everything is going up, you're more likely to look at this. The other thing is Netflix hasn't really been selling their customers on this. If they got more aggressive, and I think this is part of the frustration internally, is if they got more aggressive about selling both existing customers and new customers on the ad tier, I think more people would switch. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that they make more money on it should be a lightning bolt or a you know, light bulb over their heads to push people into the ad tier. And we're going to see it. We don't know how much the price hike is going to be that's coming later this year or after the dollar or two. Yeah. You think it'll be a dollar or two? I would be surprised if they went with like $20. Okay. The closer they get to $20, the more appealing it gets for people to switch down. And look, their argument would definitely be, it's early, give us time, we'll figure it out. And I sure, I buy into that. But at the moment, the other people, even though I think their approaches have been less friendly to their customers, have achieved scale faster. Like Hulu. Well, Hulu's been, How doing, long it did it take Hulu's Hulu been doing it forever, though. Yeah. And Amazon has the advantage. Who has done it faster? I mean, well, I don't know the numbers, but I would imagine that Disney has done it faster because they told they raise their or will do it faster because they're raising prices and their customers by true. crazy amount. But Disney has seventy or however long they've been in television years of selling advertising as a an institutional base of knowledge. Netflix, as early as it you know a, a year ago, they were still saying never, never, never. Yeah, I I hear you.
I, I'll probably live to regret this one in like a year or two, but we will hold you. On I'm that. doing the wall, you know, in wall street, you can do a short. That's like a temporary one. That's basically what I'm doing here. I'm not like selling three years. Okay. Down you're hedging is what I'm you're hedging. Yes. yes. All right. Um, that's fine. I mean, I said on the show, I think 30% of Netflix's customers will be ad supported in five years. Um, I don't know that you just, yeah, I think you disagree with that. I think that's a little high. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, all right. My last sell. And this may seem obvious, but there's a news peg here. I'm selling Paramount Global, like big time. Apologies for anyone who's in the room from that company. I just, I don't understand. Uh, the stock is down to 11.50. The market cap is a little under 8 billion. They have had offers to buy assets from them. Um, $3 billion for Showtime, $3 billion three and change for BET. They have turned down offers I don't understand why this company should be sold for parts and it hasn't. And every single day it gets less valuable. Yeah. I mean, this is sell. A, lightning, uh, light, sell, sell, sell. Ari agrees with you. I agree with you. It's a no brainer of the big media companies setting us like AMC networks is a little smaller. Lionsgate's a little smaller of the ones that have more to have. It's the most vulnerable. Um, you know, it's, movies. and it has good assets. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, they should be able to sell that movie studio. Just the real estate alone is that is valuable. There was a point in time at which someone would have paid ten billion dollars, maybe just for the Didn't lot. The, but the Chinese wanted to buy it for ten. I think billion. the Chinese wanted to buy it. There was a point in time Netflix wanted to buy it. Uh, I almost asked Ted this morning. Now that it's so cheap, would you consider just buying the whole thing and figuring out what to do with the TV networks you don't want? But totally. I didn't get there. I mean, he coveted that lot. Yeah. Very much. I mean, I know he's probably happy with their building on... Uh, Very close to home. Yeah. Beautiful lot. I would want it too. Uh, by the way, I assume you had this event here because it's close to Netflix so they could all come over here? No. <laughs> now, Uncle Mike, you didn't say, Mr. Bloomberg, we'd like to have it close to Netflix? Uncle Mike does not know who I am. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> he might today. You got a nice big, uh, nice big conference. All right. Um, yeah, I just don't... I don't understand. I think that... that Sherry Redstone is living in a fairyland and thinks that she can save this or just doesn't care and wants to milk it and be a player for as long as she can until eventually she will sell it and give her relatives the money that they pretty clearly desperately want from this company. Um, how, how, do, how do you see this playing out with Paramount? How long can this go on? It just depends on what she wants to do, right? There's, they're going to have to sell to someone or merge with someone. Mm -hmm. I just, they just don't have the scale um, or the resources unless they want to convert into being truly just uh, shut down the streaming service, shut down the networks, and be a seller of content. But if they're going to do that, they're going to have to fire thousands of people. Yeah. Um, so either you do that or you merge with another company, which will unfortunately also result in a lot of people losing their jobs. But... Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, it's, it's days feel numbered. Not going to fire Taylor Sheridan. We know that's the one, the one employee who is safe or, or the head of CBS sports, which is one of the other things they have going for them. That's true. And that CBS football deal goes for like nine years, right? Could become an albatross at some point, but yeah. a lot of people watch the NFL. True. Or they sell it or they do some deal where, you know, the NFL is made happy or yeah. whatever. Um, all right. Those are our, did you have one more? I had a bunch I wanna, more, but I, I feel like we open should get to the questions. We got a bunch here if you want to do it. Oh, I can't read. I I, do you want me to read them? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a couple of options. First one is about award season predictions. I'm going to say it's a little too early for that, but if you want to jump in. Uh, poor Things is very good. I like that one. Zone of Interest. 
probably going to be a, a big player. But uh, what else? I mean, Oppenheimer, obviously. Barb Barbie will get several nominations. Yeah, probably best picture could be a real contender. Yeah, Oppenheimer, I think will be. Nolan's going to sell the crap out of it. He's already. He has Kelly Bush, and they are like planning to do everything under the sun. You love Kelly. I do. Uh, another awards one. Do you think that there should be a new category in award shows for shows like The Bear, half hour comedy dramas, also known as an FX comedy, which is not funny? Along the same line, do the you think, funny. Do you think awarding men and women actors as different categories is outdated or should it be updated? Some of the awards bodies do non gendered. I think the indie acting. spirits do non-gender. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, it raises a lot of questions because if you open it up to just doing 10 acting nominees without respect to gender, what happens if it's eight men and two women? Like, then there would be outcry over that. Yeah. So I, I don't know how they would do that. Um, or maybe you let the person submit in whichever category they choose to submit in. And if they're non-binary, I don't know what they do. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know the answer to that. On the what was the first one? The, On should there be? Oh a yeah, the category. categories make no sense. I mean, it should be half hour and hours, right? Even though that doesn't also make sense because episodes are however long you want. Um, but most of the comedies that are nominated are not very funny. Is Bear? I mean, this last season, Barry, not funny. Yeah. Very I mean, started as a comedy is no longer art award shows are I realize this will kill the economy of award shows, so they never do this, but they're all too long. So why wouldn't you just get rid of the or the the drama versus comedy distinction and just oh, say, that, best that, TV show that will never happen. I know. If anything, they're going the other direction. Everybody wants a trophy. Everybody wants an award. They're going to create more categories. It's like my elementary school. Yeah. So that will never happen. And plus, there's an entire economy around it. Like if you got rid of that a big category like that, it would eliminate tons of people campaigning. And the 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 awards bodies complain about campaigning, but they secretly love it. They love the fact that people care and that these big stars are out shaking hands and throwing parties to try to win an Emmy or an Oscar. They love it. So, all right, what else? Um, I don't know that I, I I'm, I'm going to skip that first. There's one about the dream cast for season three of the White Lotus. And I, I don't feel like, I don't feel equipped to answer that. I don't either. Um, I, I would like them to bring back. I know she, well, I don't want to spoil it, but it would be funny if, if Jennifer Coolidge appeared in every season in some way. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, what's happening with Marvel? The daredevil news was crazy. Uh, that is an interesting one. Uh, if you missed it, Marvel, it wasn't just that they are retooling a Daredevil show that was halfway shot before the strike. It's that Marvel, <laughs> which may sound amazing, but Marvel is realizing that if you're going to have a TV division, you should probably have TV executives and TV showrunners and TV people running it and not just try to shoehorn the film people into those roles and fix it in post if it doesn't work out. And it's taken some turds like Secret Invasion and other bad shows for them to basically say, okay, enough is enough. We're going to hire some TV people to run this. And it's, I think it's a good sign. I also think it's a sign that Disney is acknowledging that there is content quality weaknesses in both the, well, both film and TV at Marvel, but especially on the TV side. There's just too many of them. Yeah, they, they stretched you then. Yeah, they, it was the... Not to put it all on 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 JPEG, but there was a moment in time where all these streaming services and all these media companies got obsessed with making more and more product. And yeah, it was that make, infamous investor call. Yeah, the second that, investor the, the day. Second investor call where like our jaws were all dropped, where it's like, and you're getting a Marvel show, and you're getting a Marvel show. It's like Oprah. 
And you're like, how in the world are all these shows going to exist in the same timeline and actually happen? Well, and who can follow what's happening from one to the other? Fewer but better should be the Disney mantra, not the like, we're going to give you eight mm -hmm. Marvel shows a year and four movies and you'll lose track of what's what. But then that runs up against the growth, growth, growth narrative for streaming, sure. which you most people believe you sacrifice if you turn off these fire hose of content. Yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily true. And I think we're going to start to see that tested over the next year or two. When well, we can compare Netflix to others because Netflix yeah. will keep the fire hose. They will, but it, it's, it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to compare Netflix to anything. I really think that. I mean, shows are hits on Netflix that wouldn't be hits anywhere else. Netflix can get away with putting a garbage documentary on and people will watch it. Where if you put the same garbage documentary on Peacock, nobody will watch it. It just takes so much more to break through on the other services than it does on yeah, Netflix. They have the audience. And, you know, there's the argument. I mean, Rich Greenfield has been saying for a while now that these services, even Disney, should put their best content on Netflix to start as a marketing tool for their ultimate home, which would be Disney Plus for these Marvel shows. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think that you have to have exclusivity, especially over your signature properties. But it makes perfect sense that Max would put Dune on Netflix. The movie's coming, the sequel's coming out next year. You want people to be aware of your movie. You make a little money on it. And is anyone canceling Max because Dune is not exclusive to Max? No. I need to rewatch it because I found the first one unsatisfying. Oh, really? I it like, felt it. like it. It felt like it was just teasing you for the full thing. It yeah. It's like, it's like a preamble. Um, but that, it makes me excited for this one. All right. Do you want to hit uh, Disney or Hello Sunshine? Uh, Hello Sunshine. We haven't talked about that. Um, we'll do Disney last then. What are your thoughts on the recent news, aka my story, uh, on Hello... <laughs> Always <laughs> credit grab. Always the credit grab. <laughs> on man. Hello Sunshine not hitting its profit target. That was a good story. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, like, of course they didn't. I mean, first of all, the strike. So they are a company, Hello Sunshine, that depends on selling projects to streamers and studios. And there's been a strike, so they can't do that. But even without the strike, there was no way that this company was going to hit their numbers. I mean, they, I think that they have been frustrated by the deals that they have not been able to do. They have this war chest and they've gone after a bunch they of- They being Candle. Candle. Yeah. They've had a, a, a mandate to buy a bunch of companies. And yeah, they've succeeded. Hello Sunshine's a good company. Moonbug, great company with a real asset that you know they own, unlike Hello Sunshine. Um, but they wanted to buy a bunch more as just a, a scale roll-up play, and they haven't been able to do it. It's hard to get deals done, especially in this turned market where money's more expensive and it's not as frothy as it was before. So I don't know. I, I think it's tough. Yeah. The question is whether this is a candle problem or whether this is a problem for the entire ecosystem of those types of companies, whether it's Peter Chernin's company or whether it's companies like MRC that, you know, raise money and produce their own things. Like, is it a problem for all of them or is it a problem for Candle? Well, it depends on how they're run because the, the timing for Candle was just miserable where they bought these companies with at the very end of kind of the zero interest rate period when valuations were super high because of all the optimism about streaming. And then within a year, streaming crashed, interest rates went up. And their issue is not so much that the businesses they bought are bad. It's that the valuations that they assign to them are way too high. Yeah. Um, and they and if you're debt, Blackstone, that's what you care about. Right. And, and debt and all this stuff. And so it could, be a, an, it, it could be an industry problem. But if you're Peter Chernin, 
Also, he hasn't gone out and spent all that money. He has money he needs to deploy, and mm -hmm. that is a separate issue. Yep. I do want to get to this last one because um, I think it's a, a, a one of your favorite subjects. Uh, who do you think will be the next head of Disney? Oh God! <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. Like, where to begin? It's a whole episode. I, I mean, there's no there's no clear answer. Nobody knows. I I think that it's not going to be Kevin Mayer or Tom Staggs. I I don't believe. That. Agreed. I I think that. They have been brought in to consult in very specific capacity. And the, this narrative about, oh, maybe they, there's an understanding that Iger will buy their company and put them in charge. I don't think that's true. I think it really is consulting. I, I think it's pretty clear that nobody currently at the company is ready. And that may change over the next couple of years, especially if Iger elevate, elevates somebody to be that number two position that he was in before he took over the company. Uh, and then you start to look at outside candidates and it's like, there are people out there who might be great. Um, Iger probably doesn't think they're up to the, the you know apparently unique task of running Disney, um, but somebody's out there that can do it. it it's just, it's, it's, it's impossible for me to believe that nobody has the skill set to run that company. I just don't believe that. I agree. I have been guilty of running over time almost every time today. So I'm going right, to effectively zero. dodge answering that question and call it a wrap. All right. Thanks. So thanks, everyone, for coming. Thanks to our producer, Craig Horbeck. Uh, thanks to Bill Simmons for having the idea to do this podcast. Uh, and thanks to you guys for listening. <laughs>